Hey guys, it's Editor Gabby. So after we finish talking about uh, Little Shop of Horrors, we go into the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And for those of you who have not seen it, it is a very graphic movie just in and of itself. So the conversation does get a little bit raunchy and does talk about some graphic themes. So if you yourself don't like hearing about that or if you're listening with young children, we highly recommend that you stop at that break that we take in between the two movies. So let's get into this episode. This episode is in remembrance of Marin Mazzi. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Fan Fatales. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby, and this week we're going to continue with week two of our Halloween Spooktacular. We're going to be reviewing some spooky musicals and musical movies! That's right. Now, the spooky musicals and musical movies we are going to be discussing today are Jekyll and Hyde, Carrie, Beetlejuice, Little Shop of Horrors, and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, and now we're going to be talking about some of our opinions on these musicals, so be warned, spoilers are ahead. So shall we get started? Absolutely. Let's start by showing our video audience what we've got going on today. I'm sure some of y'all already saw. I am wearing a uh, Nightmare Before Christmas greetings from Halloween Town tee, and Emma is very on theme today. With my Beetlejuice shirt. Um, it's from last year's Hot Topic se- se- sale, whatever. I don't know words. And I have a very cute Beetlejuice mug that I got from Spirit Halloween. It's got a little sandworm as the handle, and it goes all the way around the bottom of the mug. It's got some some green and black stripes, and it says Beetlejuice three times. Oh, yeah, my shirt says that. Yep. Um, So. And then I'm drinking some pumpkin spice tea with some pumpkin um, oat milk in it. Yes, and I have me some apple cinnamon tea. Just plain, no latte today. I didn't think apple and latte would go well together. Yeah, it probably would. (laughs) So, let's get into spilling the tea about these musicals. Yes. That segue was A1. Good job. (laughs) Yes. So the first musical we're going to be discussing is the Jekyll and Hyde Pro Shot that was filmed in 2001. Now, the synopsis of this film, or this musical, is it is a musical version of Robert Louis Stevenson's story about a doctor who conducts an experiment on himself that results in him bringing out the dark and murderous side of his inner self, Mr. Hyde. It was directed by Don Roy King, and the cast included David Hasselhoff as Dr. Henry Jekyll slash Mr. Edward Hyde, Colleen Sexton as Lucy Harris, Andrea Rivet as Emma Carew, George Merritt as Mr. John Utterson, Barry Encam as Sir Danvers Carew, Martin Van Truren as Lord Theodore Savage slash the Spider, and Robert Jensen as Mr. Simon Stride. Yeah, so we have some fun facts about this one. We have fun facts about all of them, but uh. This one I think is really interesting, actually, and it's that Jekyll is right-handed while Hyde is left-handed. Which, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that left-handed representation there as a left-handed person (laughs) myself. But, yeah, 
I think that's kind of interesting. I did too. Yeah. Um, there's also a German sentence spoken by the lady who's like running the, uh, what's it called? The red. Oh. Yeah, the, oh, the red tape. No. The red rat. That's what it is. Yeah, the red rat. The lady who runs the red rat. She's a German lady. And she, I'm going to butcher this. I'm so sorry. Oh, I was going to as well, which is why I'm very glad that you're trying it. Nope. Not going to try it. Not even going to try it. says, rise, I've had enough, bitch. It feels weird. Yeah. We don't we don't really curse on this show. It feels really weird. I know. That's why I was like, I say it. The only explicit episodes are our guest episodes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, and our last fun fact is that originally Rob Evan was slated to play the title roles, um, not David Hasselhoff. However, he left the show a week before the show was recorded and was replaced by Hasselhoff. A recording of a rehearsal with Evan was made and never released on DVD, but it can be found online. That's right. So, Gabby, who's your favorite character? Lucy. Absolutely Lucy. She's so cool. Oh, yeah. I love her, especially, like, um, what is that? Um, she's talking about how she went to the park to listen to all the intellectuals, like, oh, right yeah. when we were introduced to her. I thought that was very cool. Yeah. I love her. Yeah, and, I think she's great. I also really love Emma, though. I think they're yeah. both just such strong female roles. Oh, yeah, they like, are. Emma has a whole song where she's like... I'm going to do what I want. I am, like, a strong-ass woman. I am woman. I could do whatever I want. I'm marrying for love. I love him, father. Leave me alone, you know? Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. And then she has that whole scene with that other guy that she grew up with, and she was like, I'm not the – what is it? What did she say? Like, something along the lines of, I'm not the subservient young girl that you want. Like – I'm not going to be your her. servant. I was like, okay, yes. I love her so much. Me too. So what's your favorite song? Okay. I have a few. Um, I can't pick. I have so many that I love. Um, number one is Dangerous Game. It has been stuck in my head nonstop for days. You see, Facade has been stuck in my head. Also, Murder, Murder. Also, yeah, also that one. Yeah, but hey, Dangerous Game is absolutely one of my favorites. I love that song. My favorite part is at the very end when they do the, um, when they do the, it's a crime and a shame and the devil's to blame. I love that. I, it, ah, it gives me chills. It's so good. Um, so yes, I love Dangerous Game. I've been belting it at the top of my lungs like all week. Um... <laughs> I also love A New Life because I feel like it's such a hopeful song for Lucy. And I feel like all her other songs are very, like, there's no future. And there's, like, very in the moment. Like, all of them are very, like, either in the past or, like, what she longs for but she knows she'll never get. And, like, A New Life, like, she actually is, like, having the opportunity. Like, Jekyll is giving her the opportunity for a new life and paying for her to leave and have this new life on, on her own. And I think it's such a hopeful and, like, pretty song. And it's such a juxtaposition from, like, her other songs. Yeah. And the last one I have is In His Eyes because that one is just perfection. One of the few 
like female duets in classical theater. I mean, classical, but like, you know. Yeah. In His Eyes is also on my favorite song list, but also The Confrontation. Confrontation is also fantastic. Also alive. Also. <laughs> uh, the whole show. The whole show is fantastic. Except yeah. for I don't like Pursue the Truth. I think that song has yeah, no purpose. No. I'm also Pursue not a the huge truth has no fan purpose. of Good and Evil, honestly. Of which one? Good and Evil. Good and Evil? Yeah. It's okay. But I mean, like, it gives, it gives Jekyll why... his... I understand why it's needed plot-wise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's not the best song. Yeah. But I feel like it's a very good insight into, like, how Lucy thinks. And it's very good as a plot device. So, yeah. yeah. Whole show is just fantastic. Just watch it. It's on Broadway HD. It's, like, free trial for seven days. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. At Broadway HD. That's how we watched it. Yeah, thanks, Em. <laughs> no problem. So what's your favorite moment in this show? Just all of the ensemble moments, but especially facade, any of the facade and facade reprises or Murder, Murder. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about the umbrella choreography oh in Murder, gosh. Murder for a second? Yes. I loved it so much. Also, I loved that Lucy was in the first facade. I don't know if you noticed her. But she's in oh, the first one. She's, like, front and center. Like, she comes out in the middle of I it. I didn't even and notice. I just, I, well, I saw her red dress, and I was like, wow, she's wearing so much brighter than everyone else in the. She's a main character. More <laughs> crowd. Yeah. I'll keep an eye out for her. And then, like, a few scenes yeah. later is the red rat scene. And I'm like. Yeah. Yeah, you're Lucy. There she is. <laughs> yeah. Is. But yeah, I I love it. I love yeah. it. It was so good. Yeah, one of my notes. The choreography, just in general, not just the umbrella choreography, just no. the choreography was fantastic. Yeah, I, I loved how they did facade. Me so too. Much. I thought fantastic. I thought this whole show was great. Same. Okay, so I have a really tough time choosing because I loved this whole show. I thought it was great. Um. So yeah, <laughs> I wrote this whole thing. But essentially what it boils down to is my favorite like moment is when Jekyll is trans or Hyde is transforming back into Jekyll and like John is watching him and you can like you hear him just like screaming in pain and he's yeah. like writhing on the floor and it is totally like terrifying to me. I was like watching that and I was like biting my nails. I was so terrified for him. Yeah. And it's like Oh my gosh, just like watching that transformation from Hyde back to Jekyll and like John's face. If you watch his face during that scene, I like backed it up and I watched it again. If you watch his face during that scene, like the acting is fantastic from both of them. Yeah. Like it is spectacular. It just blew me away. I was actually terrified for him. Yeah. So that's my favorite. (laughs) So, what's your least favorite? I just don't really like the opening. Like, I like I like facade. Can we talk about the weird slow motion? Well, John is talking um, about like the story of Jekyll and Hyde, and Jekyll's with his father. There's like weird slow motion of like while John's talking of like David Hasselhoff helping his father. Oh, yeah, that was really weird. And then they did the, like, weird split screen instead of just showing the entire stage when Emma sees Jekyll for the first time. I hated both yeah. those moments. 
they also did it during In His Eyes, but I feel like yeah. in, in His Eyes it In worked. His Eyes it worked. But, like, think, that one could have just been, like, they showed the stage. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I, I wanted to mention those two because I was like, what? I also thought it was so weird, like, at the very beginning, like, before Jekyll is about to say goodnight, father. Like, the you dramatic think it's gonna music? Be I know! You think he's gonna have this, like, giant, like, revelation, and it's gonna be, like, so dramatic, but it's just like, good night, father, and he just leaves, and you're like, what the heck just happened? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, like, a very, like, what did I just watch, like, moment. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's really the only thing Also, the vows. The vows were extremely weird. I know. I was like, okay, why does David Hasselhoff need well, 12 bows? Like, the thing was, was they, like, did the group bow, and then everyone left, and they, like, walked back, and then Lucy, Emma, and David Hasselhoff walked forward and did their bow, and then the two ladies left, and he walked backwards, and then walked forward again and did his bow. I was like, what the heck? I know. Who staged the blocking? I don't know. I think they were trying to make it be like, it's spontaneous. They run back, run out, run back, run out. And then David Hasselhoff came back and he did like three bows. He like did one to the center, one to the side, one to the other side. And I was like, okay, we get it. You're good. Not that good. Yeah. You weren't, you weren't five bows worthy. Yeah, he really wasn't five bows worthy. I mean, I thought he was great. I had no idea he could sing. Oh, I knew that, like... So my parents got to see Juggle and Hyde when it was on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So they, like, love this show. So I grew up listening to this soundtrack in particular. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. David Hasselhoff one. So I knew he could sing. Yeah. It was just, like, his accent, I felt like, kept on going in and out in scenes. Okay. Which I kind of really noticed weird. something about that. And it was when he was Jekyll. He didn't really have an accent. But as Hyde, he did. Yeah. I, I don't know Which if that I think was kind of works. But also, like, in the first, like, couple scenes, it was, like, him and, like, him going in and out of it. Yeah. Like, the governor scene was him, like, kept on getting it and losing it. Yeah, and then he just dropped it off altogether. And I honestly preferred that Jekyll didn't have an accent while Hyde did. Because I feel like yeah. that led Hyde to be able to blend in a little bit easier. Because, like, okay, I know there's not, like, a ton of Americans in London, but it's not, like... I know it's not like he's the only one, but, like, there's not a lot, you know? Yeah. So, like, and, like, at one point I realized during the confrontation with the, um, like, the hospitals people. Yeah. So the governor scene. Like, yeah, the governor scene. Like, one of the governors did mention, like, oh, this isn't the states or, like, this isn't the continent. Like, that's what he said. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, so he is supposed to be from the Yeah, US. but it, it still felt weird because he kept on, like, losing it in that scene like he kept on trying to do it and then losing it yeah um i wonder if that line was written because he was having trouble doing it with the scene yeah probably um but yeah i just i don't know i i think he did great honestly i think he did great yeah i'm not like i think he was fantastic in it yeah no i agree i mean okay the confrontation that takes such Skill. Yeah. I, I've got like, to see Jekyll and Hyde live on stage before, and it's just so yeah. such a hard song. The guy who oh, played Jekyll it. when I Jekyll and Hyde when I saw it, 
Mm-hmm. Um, two of the other roles that he's played in the Central Florida area recently is Valjean and Javert in two different yeah. productions. I believe it. Like. <laughs> it takes that kind of skill. Like, he was fantastic. When we did it at, in high school, we had two guys playing, one playing Jekyll and one playing Hyde. You see, Once Upon a Time did that, and I hated it. I kind of don't like it either. I well, think it kind of takes away from the effect. It does take away from the effect. But I did like who they got to play um, Dr. Jekyll. Okay. For um, Once Upon a Time, because it's the guy who voices Maul in Star Wars. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So he was great. It was just like I hated how they like separated the two. Mm-hmm. It was also when Once Upon a Time got bad is when they tried to do Jekyll and Hyde. Got it. It was after the downfall. Yeah. So who's your favorite? So, so if you could play one character in this show, who would it be? Okay. I can't choose, but I would play either Lucy or Emma. I love them both. I do too. It's just Lucy. I, I feel like Lucy is higher up, especially watching this one. Because I know in our Dream Rolls episode, I said Emma. Mm-hmm. When you said that you wanted to do Lucy. But watching her, she reminds me so much of one of my other dream roles, Nancy, from Oliver. Mm-hmm. That, like, I have to play both of them. Yeah. I would love to play both of them, honestly. Like, yeah. In His Eyes is fantastic. We have to sing that in the cabaret at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, also, okay, really quick. I loved Lucy's shoes when she came I in. I know, right? To, right? Okay, there's a scene where she goes to Jekyll's house because uh, Hyde, like, scratched her or hit her and, like, she has this giant, like, scratch on her shoulder and he, like, helps clean her up and take care of her because he's a doctor. So um, she goes over there and he helps her out. But she has the most spectacular outfit on. Like, I love her shoes. And then my other comment was, that is, like, the biggest effing hat. That is the biggest effing feather I have ever yeah. seen. Yeah. She has this feather that, I kid you not, is probably, like, three feet big. Like, three feet long. It's While we're huge. talking about the costumes, I noticed, like, one or two people in the wedding scene wearing white or, like, a cream or like champagne. Like, cream? Yeah. And I got so mad. I was like, if I was the bride, I would be so mad at you. Yeah. For pretty much wearing white yeah. to my wedding. Oh, yeah. I'd be pissed which i have another note about that same thing for another movie (laughs) (laughs) and then the other thing i wanted to say was about emma i thought she was i thought she was like she was so pretty she was great yeah and i feel like she's kind of an underrated role i feel like everybody wants to play lucy but emma's so fantastic like once upon a dream breaks my heart every single time i kind of feel like Lucy and Emma are kind of this, or yeah, Lucy and Emma are kind of the same situation as Cosette and Eponine. Yeah, it's like everyone I feel wants like, to play Eponine. No one mm-hmm. wants to play Cosette. Yeah, and I feel like Emma is such an interesting character, and yeah. people don't give her the credit that she deserves. Once Upon a Dream is gorgeous. gorgeous. Take Me as I Am is gorgeous. gorgeous. Like, I just—it's so great. I love the women in this show. Yeah, they're both fantastic. Um, yeah, and in his eyes, like, Emma has that, like, really beautiful high note at the end, and it's, oh, gosh, just her harmonies in general are fantastic. I know, right? And it takes so much skill. Yeah. Really quick, while we're talking about the songs that were fantastic, 
can we talk about a live reprise? <gasps> yes. So a live reprise is the end of Act One. And in this show, Hyde takes like a vial off the chemistry set and throws it on the ground and it catches fire on the stage. How? I All of the know. fire in this show was like, how? I know. And it's amazing. He like, like chucks the vial on the stage. Did you see them like mending the actual fireplace? Yes. It's like, how? Did you see the actual Bunsen burners lit? Yes. Yeah, there like there's actual fire and it's like what? <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. So he like throws this vial on the ground. Like this whole like line, like this ring of fire essentially is around him and it is like amazing. And then the song ends and the fire just like whoop and it un- it like just goes out. Yeah. It like it doesn't just like fade away slowly. It like goes back in the way that it was lit. So, like, you know when you throw something down on, like, something that's already on fire and it, like, leaves a trail? It, like, lights the trail? Like, the trail went backwards when he, like, he, like, turned and it, like, went out. And it was, like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's just, like, I've seen Singing in the Rain on stage and I'm, like, how did you make it rain on stage? Exactly. It's the same thing. How? 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 I need help. Explain, please. I mean, I'm a tech person and even I don't know how to do that. Same. So, what would you give this musical out of um, a score out of 10? I was going to give it a 10 out of 10, but I think just for the beginning part, I have to knock it down to a (laughs) 9.8. I'm at a 9.75. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. And I think Hasselhoff did an amazing job with characterizing um like each one and making them differently and changing his posture and his voice and his mannerisms between Jekyll and Hyde I think that was amazing it's just the beginning part and it's no fault of the actors it's just the writing I think is a little slow at the beginning yeah I think the first scene that I was like actually like invested was when Emma's introduced same well I'm always interested with facade because I love the choreography I love love some choreography for facade but yeah. I think the most like, interesting is plot wise. Yeah, plot wise, after the governor's scene, I understand why the governor's scene is in there because you need it for his like motivation to continue the experiments on his own. Yeah, but you know, I feel like that could have been done like at the party. Yeah, same. Like maybe they I could do like, it at the party, like talking. Yeah, just being like, like please you let me. So late. Yeah, please let me continue these experiments and like they could be like look we're at your engagement party we don't need to talk about this right now we could talk about it another time but you know we've already said no like something like that you know yeah I think it could just be worked into the dialogue same so yeah that's why I'm gonna give it a 9.8 all righty so do you want to talk about (laughs) this next one yes I love this next one I know you do so this next one I was in this one, like, two years ago, before the world exploded. Carrie was adapted from Stephen King's 1974 novel, Carrie, and it focuses on an awkward teenage girl with telekinetic powers whose lonely life is dominated by an oppressive religious fanatic mother. When she's humiliated by her classmates at the high school prom, she unleashes chaos on everyone and everything in her path. It was off-Broadway in 2012, and it was directed by Stafford Arima. 
The cast includes Chrissy Altimore as Sue Snell, Molly Ranson as Carrie White, Marin Mazzi as Margaret White, Jenna DeWall as Chris Harkinson, Derek Kalena as Tommy Ross, Ben Thompson as Billy Nolan, and Carmen Cusack as Miss Gardner. Yes. Yeah. So, fun facts about this show is that the 2012 Carrie was actually an adapted and, like, rewritten version of a production of Carrie that was written in 1988, and we'll get into that production a little more. Um, It played 16 previews and five performances. It opened May 12th of 1988 and closed on the 15th of that same year of May. So it literally was open, like, three Three days. days. (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. Um, there are certain songs that were maintained, but they were updated to fit the more modern, um, pop rock style. Um, and those are In, Carrie, Open Your Heart, and Eve Was Weak, Evening Prayers, Unsuspecting Hearts, Do Me a Favor, I Remember How Those Boys Could Dance, When There's No One, and The Destruction. And like I said, most were changed to fit the new, um, rights of the show. So the music from Carrie was actually used in the episode of Riverdale, and it was chapter 31, A Night to Remember, which is the 18th episode of the second season. I watched that episode solely because it was a Carrie episode. I thought it was just okay. All of the musical episodes are just okay because they don't have singers, yeah. so then it's yeah, um, very out of tune. Yeah. So who's your favorite character? Hold on, I have to get back there. I don't know what I said. <laughs> Here it is. Okay. So, my favorite character is Carrie. I love her so much. I love Carrie. Um, but Sue Snell, I, I just love her. Especially Christy Altimore playing um, Sue Snell. Yeah. I just love Christy Altimore as, like, a performer. She's mm-hmm. great. For those of you yeah. who don't know, she and Derek Klina actually went on in a, a few years later to play Anastasia and Dimitri in Anastasia. Yeah. So... Which they, I think is very cute. Yeah, they have great on-stage chemistry together. Oh, they totally do. Oh, I love them. I love yeah. them both. Yeah. But yeah I, I totally agree. I just feel like Carrie is such, like, an underdog character, and... I love her, yeah. But I love how strong she becomes. Like, I mean, yeah, Same. she murders people, but, like, still. <laughs> so what's your favorite song? <laughs> <laughs> you good? Guys, I took a sip of my drink when you said that, and I tried swallowing it down fast. So, my favorite song is Carrie or Shine." I just love Shine." Shine" is very cute. Definitely not one of my favorites. Definitely uh, skippable for me. No, the, the next song, or, or my least favorite moment is the most skipped song on the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. I was reading your favorite one, and I was like, um, no, no. Okay, yeah, that same. <laughs> I think you shine. Um, once you see, and dreamer in disguise are all skippable. I could see that. I don't know. I don't know. I listen to you shine sometimes. It just depends on the mood I'm in. Oh, My I also favorite, like, though, do um, do me a favor. Do me a favor is also really good. My favorite though is um I remember how those boys could dance because I think that song was like written 
for Marin Mazzi. It wasn't actually written for her, but like her voice was made for that song. She's fantastic. And I actually loved Marin in Ragtime. I thought she was fantastic in Ragtime too. Her voice is oh, fantastic. Yeah, she is. She's fantastic. And it's so sad. We lost her too young, but she's she's great. I agree. Ugh. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Why can't I remember one of the songs that's literally in my audition book? But it's one of Carrie's songs. Hold on. Let me look at Is it Why up. Not Me? Yeah. Wait. Yeah, it's Why Not Me. Why Not Me is also great. Um, I just love also the, the destruction. The destruction's amazing, but that's my favorite the destruction moment. Is... Same. Shall we get into that? Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. But yeah, the destruction is fantastic. We could talk about it now. Let's just roll right into it. Favorite moment: the yeah. destruction. The destruction uh, slash the blood drop. Yeah. I also love Sue and Carrie's final scene together. With Carrie yes. Reprise. I also love when Carrie stands up to Margaret during, at the very end of How Those Boys Can Dance, when she does the, I'll get them, and she does the telekinesis to the windows, and she does the, where she tells her she's not afraid of her. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I also actually really love the scene at the very end, or spoiler alert, um, Margaret kills Carrie. I actually really love that scene. This one YouTuber I really like, she, um, her name is Catherine Steele. I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. of her. Mm-hmm. But she did Carrie, actually right around when the Riverdale episode came out, and she mm-hmm. played Margaret, and she told, she always tells this story, because she's really close with her Carrie. Her Carrie is mm-hmm. actually Julia Lester from High School Musical, the musical, the series. She plays Ashlyn, is the character's name. I know you don't know, but for no. audience. <laughs> But um, she talks about how in the recorded episode, or like the recorded version of the show, when she takes out the knife, you can hear someone go, Carrie, no! Aww. <laughs> That's really sad. And like, audibly yeah. gas. Yeah. That happened for, to us every single night. There was at least one person who would audibly gasp. Probably one night, it was my mother. Seen it. Really? Yeah. One night it was my mother and I could hear her. I knew it was her because for us, our director didn't want the kids once they were murdered at the prom, they didn't want, she didn't want us to like stand up and walk away. So we were on stage for like 15 minutes after we died. We were on stage from the destruction all the way until the finale. Yeah. So we were just lying there. And so we were on stage during the murder at the end. Um, And it just like, I could, I was laying there and I heard my mom go, (gasps) and I knew it was her. Absolutely knew it was her. I love that. Yeah. And I just started chuckling and I had to like bite my lips so I didn't start laughing on stage. Yeah, especially since you're dead. Especially since I'm supposed to be dead. Yeah. So, what's your so, least favorite moment? We already kind of touched on it. Yeah. The Dreamer in Disguise. Dreamer in Disguise. It's my most skipped song in the soundtrack. Same. I think it no, has no purpose. It doesn't. It really has no purpose. Like, okay, Carrie falls for this guy because she sees that there's more to him than It's kind of like read it was. and weep. Yeah. 
It's exactly like that. It's just like, I don't really care. Yeah. You know? Like, that could have easily been done. Like, in the skateboard scene. Like, he kind of does that when he's like, guys, leave her alone. In the skateboard scene, I think that would have been sufficient. I agree. I think Dreamer in Disguise is a skip song. And I love Derek Luna's voice. Same. I do too. Oh. oh, really quick. I forgot to mention earlier when we were talking about the destruction. Yeah. I didn't like that they actually didn't drop blood. I didn't either. I don't like that it's a light. And the reasoning for it, I like went into the history of Carrie because it was like one of Broadway's biggest flops. Um, the original in the 88. But I basically the theory behind it is like, they want to put you in her mind state. They want to put you in her frame of mind, not necessarily the physicalness or physicality of what's happening. So you're basically supposed to be like in her thoughts and her feelings. And that's why they did it with a light rather than the blood. But I think the blood is much more effective if it's done right. Because in the production with Keaton Whitaker, they did do a real blood drop as well as a light, but in that production, she didn't hit her mark in time or the bucket just didn't have enough blood. So when they drop the blood, it's just like a dribble on her forehead and it's like not really on her. Yeah. You need a blood that's liquidy enough to get all over her, you know? Yeah. Or enough of it to get all over her because it was just on her forehead and it's like lame. Yeah. I did like that... After the destruction, it seemed like uh, they took uh, Molly backstage and they put her in, like, a kiddie pool and they would, like, pour blood all over her so she really would be covered in blood completely, which I really appreciate. But, I don't know, I just don't think it has the full effect. If they wanted to still get that amount of blood or that volume of blood, I think they could have done the same thing with the light and the blood drop for, like, the face, at least. And then she could go backstage and get everything... Put all over her, you know? So, yeah. That's my little bit about the blood drop. We did real blood, and it was pretty watery. We did, we used this blood that's EMT training blood. Interesting. So, yeah, it's used when EMTs are training on, like, how to put IVs in people. Yeah. And, like, how to close up wounds and stuff. So, uh, we used that because it's uh, washable. It washes out with soap. That's cool. Yeah. And I, fun fact, I wore my actual prom dress in that show. Really? Mm-hmm. Who would you play from this show if you had to? If you had to p- pick a character? My dream role of Sue Snell. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would probably play my dream role of Carrie, so fair. I mean, and I definitely do want to play Margaret as an adult. Like, once I'm, like, a parent. Yeah. I would love to play Margaret. Yeah, they're not like, even as Catherine a parent. always talks about how young she was to play Margaret and how she yeah, doesn't I think mean, it was right for her. I mean, I could probably play it in my 30s or 40s, like early 40s, but by yeah, then I already want kids. she's not 30 yet. So. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. I think, like, 30, like, mid-30s, early 40s is okay. I think she was, like, six or seven years older than her Carrie, or is, rather. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's a little mooch. That's a little not enough, you know? 
I think our Margaret was like in her 50s and our Carrie was like 25 or 26. That's a good age. Yeah. So I just want to run through this super brief history. It's a page. It's a whole, it's two pages, but I'm going to like speed through it. Rapid fire. So the original Carrie opened in the Virginia theater on, in, on Broadway in 1988. It was deemed one of Broadway's biggest flops up till then. The next one would be Spider-Man turn off the dark. So the original Carrie was mostly driven by dialogue rather than the songs And Michael Gore, Lawrence D. Cohen, and Dean Pitchford all worked together to write the original 88 musical. Gore was the Oscar-winning composer for the movie musical Fame. Cohen was the director and writer of Carrie the Film. And Pitchford was brought on as a lyricist, and he also wrote Footloose. Wow. He wrote Footloose after Carrie, though. Or at the same time as Carrie. But still, wow. um, Yeah. Super awesome guys. They did fantastic work. So you know that the show is going to be good, right? So they could not get a director to direct this. And eventually they decided on Terry Hands as the director because they thought his creative vision fit with their creative vision. They were very wrong. Um, so the Royal Shakespeare Company was one of the only producing, like, producing houses to fund the development of Carrie. So... Um, Yeah, and RSC, which is the Royal Shakespeare Company, they were really worried about Carrie because they had such a fantastic success with Les Mis. They were really worried that Carrie was not going to, like, meet up to that same thing. So they wanted Carrie to be, like, their next Les Mis, essentially. That's Um, very high standards. Yeah. So the creative team were not on the same page at all. Uh, The writing team, when they arrived at Stratford... Stratford-upon-Avon after leaving um, hands with the show and they had told him before they left think Greece as in Greece the musical hands <sighs> thought they meant Greece the location yeah they he thought they meant like ancient Greece oh. so they got there and they watched the show and they thought hands had completely just like slaughtered their show these kids were in like togas and their gym outfits they looked like they were wearing diapers and it was like spandex and the creative team they really wanted the set to be very um like symbolic like in the movie the sewing machine is really symbolic in the movie and there's all of this like there's all these crosses and there's all these paintings of like Jesus and the disciples and there's all of these like beautiful gorgeous works of art but it's all of course like Christian very 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 like everywhere right and it's such an important part of the the white house not as not the white house as in the president but the house that the whites live in yeah (laughs) so um hands basically didn't include any of that the set was just like white squares that moved and created different rooms and sets and stuff and it was terrible there was total turmoil and the blood drop originally was Chris and Billy running on stage and just dumping a cup of blood on Carrie, essentially, because they couldn't figure out how to get the blood drop without her mic going out. I don't know how they figured that out in later years. I know some productions just don't have Carrie wearing a mic for the blood drop. We didn't. Uh-huh. Um, and I know other productions will, like, 
they'll have like the tiara on top of it or like they'll have multiple microphones or something like that. You know, there's multiple ways to get around it. Um, so anyway, opening night at Stratford was a disaster. The audience was like laughing at the production and it was terrible. At the time, Barbara Cook was playing Margaret and during a set change, um, she was delayed by just a little bit and she was just a smidgen late to the set change. And as she was coming on, one of the like moving white boxes that helps to create all the different rooms almost decapitated her what while she was setting for evening prayers. Yeah, like this close. And she was like, that's it. I quit. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. They convinced her to stay for the Stratford run, but she quit before the show arrived off Broadway. I or no, too. on Broadway. Yeah, it actually, this one did go to Broadway. So, okay, they tried to fix the show at Broadway. It didn't really work. They just kind of left it as it is. Opening previews on Broadway and the audience met the show with like a chorus of boos. It was terrible. Everybody was booing it. It was awful. And by then, Betty Buckley had taken over the role of Margaret and she played um, the gym teacher in the movie. Oh, yeah, so she had taken over the role of Margaret, and Lindsay Hatley had played Carrie both at Stratford and now on Broadway. And they both walked to the front of the stage. Oh, and they had this giant set piece that was like this staircase that was supposed to be like symbolic of like going to heaven and hell because at the time a bunch of shows had like giant set pieces that were like the focal point of the show. So like Les Mis has the barricade, Phantom of the Opera has the chandelier, and Cats had the tire. Yeah, and I'm even thinking so, about Wicked with the dragon clock. Yeah, and that wasn't even at that same time. That was, like, way later. It's yeah. still a thing now. So um, so they were like, we're going to have this giant staircase, and it's going to be symbolic of heaven and hell, and at the end, Carrie's going to die and fall down these stairs into hell. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. So they get up, they walk down the stairs, they do their bows. Half the audience is cheering for them because the actors were actually good. It's just the book and the script and the direction that was terrible. Yeah. So it was pretty split. So then, after a few shows, before, a Sunday, before the Sunday matinee, Frederick Kurtz called the entire company together and he was one of the producers of the show. And he said that they were running the show, quote, critics be damned, that night. And he got on a plane, and he left, and he was never heard from again. Just disappeared. Nobody ever heard from him again. Later, it was found out, like that Monday, they found out that he screwed over all the other producers. They, he cleared out all of the accounts. He only left the bonds for the actors' pay. Yeah. So... The remaining producers tried really hard to find the money to keep the show running, but there was nothing there. There was nothing to be found. So the show had to be closed. The cast album was never recorded, so there is literally no record of these songs or what they were unless you find some sort of old production videos from the 80s, which are very hard to come by. Yeah. Um, so Mary Cl Carrie closed on May 15th, 1988 after 16 previews and five performances. So then in 2008, Stafford Arima wanted to revisit and revise the production looking through a contemporary lens. So Arima strived to show Carrie's internal experience by using projection and lighting. 
that's why they didn't do the actual blood draw. Interesting. So, Pitchford, Cohen, and Gore decided to make the rights purchasable after the show they had, vision- they had envisioned and worked on for so long and had worked so hard on was finally what they were wanting it to be. Like, Arima was the missing piece that they needed to finish this show to be what they really wanted it to be. So, I think that Carrie's success and lack thereof in the past was proof that when the creative team isn't on the same page, the project is completely doomed. Yeah. Because the RSC was fighting to make Carrie their big, next big mega musical, while Pitchford, Cohen, and Gore really just wanted to tell the dramatic story of struggle and bring it back to King's original novel about uh, the struggle that Carrie had in her life. So yeah, that's my, that's my whole abridged little spiel. There's a really great uh, YouTube video for it, actually. I will link it in the comments or in the comments of this video and in the uh description of this episode and you guys can check it out it's a really interesting video it's about an hour and four minutes ish it's really interesting okay yeah I can't remember who did it but I will post it and you guys can take a look so what would you give this musical an overall score out of 10 I said a nine and a half I think I'm going to bump it up to a 9.75 out of 10. Mm-hmm. It's almost perfect. There's just a few things that I would personally change, like Dreamers in Disguise and a few other things. Yeah, same. I so badly want to give it a 10 out of 10, just because after everything I've learned about it, I'm like, wow, it's really what they wanted it to be. But Dreamer in Disguise, man, I just can't get past it. I can yeah. get past Once You See. I can get past You Shine. It's just Dreamer in Disguise. I can't get past yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about this next one? Yeah, this next one is Beetlejuice. Yeah. <laughs> Beetlejuice. Yeah. Because. Oh, this is going to be so good. <laughs> <laughs> so Beetlejuice tells the story of Lydia Dietz, a strange and unusual teenager obsessed with the whole being dead thing. Luckily for Lydia, her new house is haunted by a recently deceased couple and a demon with a thing for stripes. When Lydia calls on Beetlejuice to scare away anyone with a pulse, he comes up with a perfect plan involving exorcism, arranged marriage, and the biggest sandworms Broadway has ever seen. And this this synopsis comes straight from the Beetlejuice Broadway website. Yeah, it's good. That one's good. Yeah. I liked it a lot um, when I was trying to find a good one. So, the Beetlejuice was on Broadway from April um, 25th to um, 2019 until March 11th of 2020, which was Broadway's last performance before the world shut down. Mm -hmm. But the official closing date was June 6th, right? Yeah, it was June 6th Mm -hmm. with Presley Bryant. Yeah, at the Winter Garden. Yeah. Um, with Presley Ryan taking on the role of Lydia. Yeah. But aren't they resuming shows? We'll get into that. At... We'll, we'll, okay, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. She's like, I've planned for this. Don't worry. Do you not <laughs> read my fun fact? Look at the first fun fact. <laughs> oh, never mind. I'll just shut up. Go ahead. 
So it was directed by Alex Timbers, and the original Broadway cast includes Sophia Ann Caruso as Lydia Dietz, Alex Brightman. Yeah, same. Alex (laughs) Brightman as Beetlejuice, Rob McClure as Adam Maitland, Carrie Butler as Barbara Maitland, Maitland, and Delia slash Miss Argentina as Leslie Kritzer. Er, what? Leslie Kritzer as Delia slash Miss Argentina. Sorry, my notes are wrong. That was backwards. Yeah. So, as Gabby was starting to get into, Beetlejuice was originally playing at the Winter Garden Theater, but they were forced to evacuate, or to vacate on June 6, 2020, and that was because of the Music Man revival. Mm-hmm. Because at the... Boo. But I looked at, into the history. So, when Music Man came to go to the Winter Garden and be like, hey, can we have your spot? Beetlejuice mm-hmm. was flopping on oh. Broadway. It, it didn't start make turning a profit until TikTok until Presley Ryan and um and um and Alex Brightman Alex Brightman yeah starting to do all those videos together interesting because then it got like more and more people interested in it yeah but we'll get into my thoughts about it because yeah we'll get into it yeah i'm i'm not impressed so, on March 12th of 2020, Beetlejuice was forced to close early due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but on September 13th of 2021, it was announced that Beetlejuice is back from the dead again on their Instagram, and it will be reopening at a new home, Broadway's Marriott Marquise Theater, um, beginning April 8th, 2022. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure tickets went on sale today. I think they did. Yeah. Today being Friday, October the 1st. Yes. Which is also one of my favorite days of the year because it's the beginning Spooky of month. October, which Spooky is the beginning, beginning of the month of Halloween. And then the other fun fact for this show is the musical of Beetlejuice takes the character of Lydia and makes her the lead role rather than a supporting role like the movie. So, who's your favorite character? Barbara Maitland. Same. I love her. I want to play her she someday. Is- I think she is one of the best, better female characters. I think her and Delia are like. I love Delia so much. Me too. I love Delia. I like. I just really like um, Leslie Kreitzer. I think she's great. Oh yeah, and I love how. Have you seen the video of um, them doing the Delia to Miss Argentina quick change? Yes. It's insane. Because they paint her body. I know. Well, they paint her, like, face face. and, like, neck and chest. Her arms are, like, green sleeves that are attached to the dress. I mean, but that's how Elphaba is. Yeah. The green sleeves, so her arms and her legs are tights that are attached to the dress. Well, the sleeves are attached to the dress. The tights are actually tights. Yeah. But, like, yeah, and then they have to take it off for, like, the next scene. They literally have home to take off that makeup, pretty much. Yeah, which is three minutes. Give yeah. or take. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she, that's a fantastic quick change. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Google I've it. gone it's to see Rob McClure perform live before. Yeah? In the musical Something Rotten. He was in the touring cast. Oh, nice. He played the main brother, and Adam Pascal played Shakespeare in that oh, touring cast. Oh, that's really cool. Cast. That's awesome. I love Adam Pascal. 
I do too. I've gotten to meet him. Oh wait, we both have. We've talked about this. We have. He's times. really nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, favorite song. Barbara two I I just love how it shows the like parental force that the Maitlands are, and explores mm-hmm. like the discovery of who they are going to be, and like finally them being like, no, we need to help her. Like yeah. Lydia needs needs us. That that's the reason she sees us. Yeah, and I. I just really like the beginning when she does the, when she's like talking about their stuff and he's like, you don't like our stuff, Barbara, this is our stuff. (laughs) I love Rob McClure so much. I know. He does a fantastic job. I think that was so funny. Bless you, Rob McClure. I hope you have a great run in Miss Doubtfire. Yes. Because he's, um, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, he'll be great. I think it's going to be fantastic. I also really love No Reason. No reason is great. It has one of my favorite lines in the whole show. And it's when <laughs> and it's when Delia goes, Crystal, speak to me. And Lydia goes, what are they saying? And Delia goes, buy more, more crystals. crystals. <laughs> I, love I love that, that line so much. I'm trying to think what other songs I really love. Um, that one's fantastic. I also love um, What I Know. That's a good one. That one's great. I plan on using that sound when I record Dead Heather Chandler for Halloween. Yes. I'm excited. Um, I think that's so cute. Yeah. I just love the soundtrack. I love um, Mm -hmm. Beautiful Sound. Not my favorite, but I do think the soundtrack is significantly stronger than the book. Yes. Also, can we talk about how this did not win best sets at the Tonys the year it came out? Yeah, the sets are really impressive. Yeah, like, they literally took Tim Burton... Like, I've watched, like, a whole documentary about the sets. They literally took inspiration from every single one of Tim Burton's work. Because he was the original director. Yeah, of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the sets were really great. I really loved the Beetlejuice-ified set. Like, when they took the house and, like... I know. Did the Beetlejuice layover. I loved that. Yeah. I'm trying to see who I also won really best like the attic. Here. Yeah, the attic's cool. And also so the door. Cute. The door is awesome. Yeah. You would never have known there's a door there. No. No. It's... Yeah, that's really cool. Oh, I... So what's your favorite yes. moment? What did I say? <laughs> so, in the beginning... When we get Beetlejuice and like it's right after Barbara and Adam have died and the um guide the handbook to the recently deceased pops up and he does the stupid mm-hmm. little puppet show with it, like, are there any kids in the audience? Where do books go to die? And then throws and it he in chucks the- it in the fire. <laughs> yes. And then it gets back and Lydia discovers it in a tote bag he gives her after um beautiful sound. And he's like, mm-hmm. you want to see a puppet trick? Yeah. I also love the, like, moment between Lydia and her father in home. When they yeah. start talking about, like, oh, yeah, we'll talk about your mother more. Yeah, that was my favorite part. That was the only part that I actually had feelings about these characters. Yeah. That was the only part I actually was like, wow, I actually care about this character now. And that's, like, almost at the very end of the show. That's like yeah. 15 minutes till the end. I have seen a bootleg with Presley Ryan. 
And I just love her as Lydia so much. I care about her from the moment we see her in that one. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just I don't like Sophia Ann Caruso playing her. I think that's it, because I don't like her. I don't like her playing her at all. Also, can we talk about how Juno sounds like Roz from Monsters, Inc.? Right? (laughs) I think that's so funny. And then when they reveal that she's his mom, I cracked up laughing. I was like, that is the funniest thing I've seen all day. I love that. I also, Barbara, what's the scariest thing you can think of? The Trader, trader Joe's, Joe's parking, parking lot! lot. <laughs> Accurate. Yeah. Actually, I think for me it'd be Whole Foods. Whole Foods scares me more than Trader Joe's. I've almost gotten hit, um, hit in the Trader Joe's parking lot every time I've been in it. Oh, gosh. Please be careful. Yeah. But, yeah, I think the reason I have an issue with Sophia is, like, her voice... I feel like when she can't hit the note, she just, like, growls through it. Yeah. And it sounds painful. It does. Like, when she hits some of those high notes during home, she, like, shrieks them. They're, like, squeaked. And they hurt. They sound painful. You know? Yeah. And I don't know. I just... Watching her as somebody who understands, like, vocal quality and, like, what singing poorly feels like yeah it like hurt me to hear her sing because i know that that was hurting her yeah you know she says it doesn't but no way I, it doesn't. Mm, no way also it the girl scout hurt. the girl who plays the girl scout um dana mm-hmm. she's also yeah. an understudy for um lydia yeah and she was great i thought she was adorable yeah, can we talk about how she's, like, in her 30s still playing, like, yeah. a child? A child? I think that's hilarious. <laughs> I she's love great. her. That's gonna be me. Yeah, same. That's gonna be a baby face. Look at us. <laughs> yeah, we have baby face. We're in our I 20s like and we have 12. baby face. Same. <laughs> but, yeah. I think the understudies actually had, like, better vocal quality than Sophia did. Same. That's just my thought. Same. So what's your favorite um, moment? The same as yours. I just really like the... The only part I really care about the characters is when they're in the abyss and they have that cute moment. Yeah. They, I actually cried. I was like, oh, wow. I actually care. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. But I did love... I actually also loved when they came out of the abyss and um, and Lydia's <laughs> introducing her dad to Beetlejuice and he goes, Mr. Juice. <laughs> and then I love Adam standing up to him and being like, Mr. Juice, like, I have had feelings for you or whatever he says. Yes! And then Barbara does a say. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's funny when they call him Mr. Juice. Yeah, same. I thought that was, that's what got me. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. Uh, I love yeah. Alex Brightman as a performer. Oh, he's fantastic. I love him. Yeah. Oh. So, who would you want to play? We didn't do least favorite moment. Oh, sorry. Least favorite moment. I just... What was the other one that I just thought of that like just has escaped my mind again? Um, well, first know, of all... I know, it escaped your mind. You didn't tell me. I know. Well, <laughs> one of them is when... Um, I feel bad for Lydia when she discovers Julia and her father like have been together in secret and are getting married when she first tries to get the Mait- Maitlands to leave... Or, 
to her family to leave for the Maitlands? I don't feel that bad for her. You don't? No. I really don't care about her character at all. Maybe it's because I've seen other versions. Like, Maybe. I just found it so hard to care about Lydia. I thought she was like a whiny little brat. Yeah. I thought she was just annoying. And I was like, oh my gosh, there are adults. They can make decisions. Like, you may not like her, but like, I mean, that sucks It was that also you don't like very her. soon after her mom's death. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I don't I know how that, long it's been. I think it's supposed to be like within the year. Okay. So yeah, I kind of get that then. But like still, I don't know. I just... <sighs> because she talks about how it hasn't... Um, Delia talks about how it hasn't been that long. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's been... It's like all sud- so sudden and like, I get it. Her mom just passed away. And like, that does suck. And, and like, her, it really sucks that her dad her, what, didn't take her into consideration. Yeah. I mean, she's not even really her life coach. She's just like a friend. Yeah. And, or tries to be at least. And you can tell Lydia, like, hates Delia. Yeah. So, like, I mean, that kind of sucks that her dad didn't take her into consideration at all in that decision. However, I think it kind of ends up fine for everybody. Yeah, true. And I, I don't know. I just, like I already said, I find it really hard to care about Lydia as a character. Yeah. So yeah. Again, I so think it's I, Sophia and Caruso's acting rather Probably. Because if I showed so, yeah, you I just, Presley Ryan, you'd actually feel for her. Probably. But that's also a 16-year-old playing the role rather than... Of a 16-year-old rather than like a 24-year-old? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I don't really have a least favorite moment. I don't really like a lot of the show. Okay. Um, I think the second act especially was very tough for me. Yeah. The second act I like, just doesn't, like, know where to start. Yeah, I think the first act actually progresses pretty well, and, like, it has pretty good character and, like, story development. Yeah. And I feel like the second act is just very flat. I can agree. Uh, also, I don't... Oh, I just thought of it. The game show. The game show I thought was okay. I, I thought it was actually kind of funny. I thought it was funny. I just... I don't know. I don't think it has a purpose, though. Yeah, like, that can be cut. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of it. I just don't really like it that much. I remember hearing from, like, an interview that, um... Who played Barbara? Carrie Butler did. Mm -hmm. Talking about one day they were trying to do the, um, levitating thing with her. Mm Mm-hmm. And the contraption broke, and she was just stuck there while they tried to fix it. Like they had to close oh the curtain. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So, if you could play one character, who would it be? I think we have an idea of who it would be, but who would you Barbara. play? Yeah, Barbara. me too. Yeah, I would play her or Delia slash Miss Argentina. I honestly just yeah. want to sing what I know now. Because that song is awesome. Yeah. So shall we get into our last two real quick? We didn't rate it. Oh, wait. Yeah, we didn't. Um, an 8.5 out of 10. 
I know you rated it low, but it's fine. I rated it really low. And it's only because of the book. I think the score is fantastic. I love the score. Yeah. The score is great. But the book is not that good. So I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. Yeah, I wasn't going to win anything with the book. Yeah. Definitely not. So, the next one we're talking about is everybody's favorite little then giant plant from outer space. Little, Little Shop of Shop Horrors. Of Horrors. Um, specifically the director's version of the movie. Yes. Because there's a difference. Yes. We'll get into what the difference is yes. in a little bit. So, the synopsis. Seymour Krelborn is a nerdy orphan working at Mushnick's, a flower shop in Irvine Skid Row. He harbors a crush on fellow co-worker Audrey and is berated by Mr. Mushnick daily. One day, Seymour is seeking a new mysterious plant and he finds a mysterious, unidentified plant which he calls Audrey 2. The plant seems to have a craving for blood and soon's to begin, soon begins to sing for his supper. Soon enough, Seymour feeds Audrey's sadistic dentist boyfriend to the plant and later Mushnick for witnessing the death of Audrey's ex. Will Audrey 2 take over the world or will Seymour and Audrey defeat it? So the film came out in 1986 and it was directed by Frank Oz, notably the voice of Miss Piggy and Yoda. Yes, Yoda. Yeah. Um, and the cast includes Levi Stubbs as the voice of Audrey 2, Rick Moranis as Seymour Crowborn, Ellen Green, who was the original Audrey on stage as Audrey, reprising her role for the movie. She was? Yeah. Ugh! <laughs> Yikes! Vincent Gardenia as Mushnick. That's funny that his last name is Gardenia. That is funny. His last name is a plant and he plays Steve a Martin florist. as Orin, aka the dentist. And then Tashina Arnold as Crystal, Michelle Weeks as Renette, and Tisha Campbell as um, Siobhan. Yeah. Really quick, can we get into the outfits that they put the, the girls in? Yeah. They were amazing. Amazing. That was my A1. first note. 10 out of 10. Same. Ugh. So the little, um, the musical and the movie um, of Little Shop was based on a movie of the same name from 1960. Mm-hmm. And during production, director Oz uh, shot a 23-minute ending based on the off-Broadway musical's ending, which is the director's cut. However, mm-hmm. after audiences at the preview screenings did not react positively to it, the ending had to be rewritten and reshot for the theatrical release with a much happier ending. And that ending is um, Seymour running in to the shop when Audrey is like being like chomped at by Audrey 2 mm-hmm. and him pulling her out and electrocuting Audrey 2, killing it. And then oh them moving away to somewhere that's green. And then it pans down and it shows a baby Audrey 2 in their yard. And it's just, like, evil little Audrey 2 laughing. I don't like that as much. I don't either, which is why I was like, we have to do the director's cut if we're doing the movie. I feel like this one is, like, more morbid and, like, really sad. And at the end, I was like, wow, that was awful. But, like, awful in a good way. Not, like, awful in as in the movie was awful. Awful as in that's a terrible thing to happen. Yeah. And the last one. We'll get there. We'll get there. 
is in order to get the movement of the plant smoothly in the scene with in the scenes with the larger Audrey 2, the film was shot in slow motion with 12 frames per second rather than the usual 24 frames per second and then sped up, which means that Rick Moranis had to act and lip sync slowly and it was sped up later in post. Which is like skill. Yeah, because what, it was 1980 we said or something Yeah, like that? Like mm-hmm. 1986, CGI wasn't good, so I'm kind of glad that they no. did a puppet. Yeah. Especially with Frank Oz directing it. Yeah. Yoda and and Muppets. Yeah. You can tell that... um, You can't even tell that the film was sped up, even. No. No, you would have no idea. Uh, Yeah. It was great. So... So. Who's your favorite favorite character? Seymour. (laughs) Seymour. He's just, oh, I love Rick Marianis. He's the dad can, from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. Can we just talk about how sad he looks when Audrey says that he's the only fellow I got about the dentist? Right? I was like, I am heartbroken for you, sir. I know. Also, really quick. Okay. I loved Audrey's shoes in the first, like, when we first introduced her. But, okay, that black eye was and so that wig are terrible. Yeah. Like, that black eye, it looks like they just took black makeup and, like, smudged it under her eye. Yeah. Like, I was like, okay, come on, y'all can do better than that. Also, can we talk about the Star Wars opening crawl at the beginning of this film? Right? What was that? (laughs) Do you see my first note? It's literally just, what in the Star Wars opening crawl is this? Yeah. Yeah. And then, also, okay, Mushnik says... I don't think that he, or I think he's maybe such a nice. Maybe he's not such a nice guy. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe he's not such a nice guy. Yeah. He's beating her up. What do you mean? Maybe he's not such a nice guy. Also, can we talk about how Mushnick looks so done at Seymour when he says that the plants are talking to? He's like, son. He's like, oh my God. Also, I realized when um, Mushnick says, Seymour, you're like a son to me, like when he's about to go turn him into the police before he gets killed. Mm-hmm. That Mushnick and son was cut from the movie. Oh, Did you not realize that until just now? Not really. I don't really listen to the soundtrack that often. Mushnick and son is just all right, but it's the only song that Mushnick sings in. Oh. Maybe that guy, maybe they were like, mm, he can't really sing. Let's just cut it. Yeah. What's your yeah. favorite song? I really like Somewhere That's Green and Suddenly Seymour. I, love I don't Seymour. like Ellen Green. Okay. I did not think she sang those well at all. And she was the original. And she was the original. I was like, when you said that, I was like, excuse me? Mm-mm. I like the girl who is on the soundtrack much better. The new Broadway cast one. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forget her name. Who but yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I really like her. It doesn't have her name, but her. Yeah. she's. Great. I like her a lot better. I also really like Dadu. Yeah, that one's good. I just love, I like, and this is kind of getting into my favorite moment, Skid Row. The yeah. opening number. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, the the alarm goes off at 7 a.m. And then, um, who is it? Crystal? Yeah, Crystal. 
Crystal goes, sing it, child. And I'm like, oh my gosh, girl, you're literally young enough to be her granddaughter. What are you talking about? Yeah. Well, usually in the same show, it's one of the three of them that sings that opening. Yeah. Yeah. But I just thought it was funny in the in the yeah. show and the movie also, that they decided to make that a choice. What about the finale? How did you like "Don't Feed the Plants" and all its campy gore? I loved it. I love camp. I You'll see. Think- Rocky Horror Picture Show is one of my faves, and that movie is all camp. Yeah. Yeah, that movie's a hundred percent camp, yeah. just like Beetlejuice. But Beetlejuice is bad camp. She's like, I have nothing to say. <laughs> I don't think that Beetlejuice the movie is bad camp. I think Beetlejuice the movie is just like perfect the amount of camp. I think the musical is, I think they just don't do it right. I don't think they lean into it the right way. Like they're leaning into it, but not all the way. Yeah. It's like one foot in, one foot out. You either have to do it or don't. You yeah, know? true. I feel like they're kind of like, well, we want to make this appeal to a broader audience, but also we want to keep the original spirit of the film. It's like, no, you got to choose one or the other. Yeah. Also, I kind of so, anyway. like how they do Mushnick's death better in the stage show than they do in the movie. Okay, I haven't seen the stage show in probably 10 years. What are they doing? So, he, um, it's the same. Like, hey, I'm like, can you go to the police station with me and clear up that it wasn't you? Mm-hmm. And then, like, and then they're like, oh, we need to lock up the money in the safe. And Seymour's like, oh, I, I forgot the safe password. It's in the plant. Mushnick in all his greedy glory goes down in the plant to go try to find the money. Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. It's more campy and I love it. Rather than it is just very like campy. him like walking backwards into the plant. Yeah. But I kinda I kinda like that it wasn't like him diving into it. I kinda like that it was the plant just being like True. Also, how did that door open by itself when like Seaworth's carrying dead Audrey? I have no idea. Like, yeah. Um, what's your um, least favorite moment? Angels. <laughs> I don't know. Um, my least favorite part is anything with the dentist, really. Same. I hate his song. Except for I hate Bill his... Murray. <laughs> yeah, that's the best part of the whole movie. When Bill Murray is just like, hey, okay. and he's like weirdly into all the dentist stuff. Okay, but so I figured it out. Because I was like, hey, Alex. Why is Bill Murray in this movie? Okay. And then and I, Alex is our resident expert. No, he and I, like, researched it. And I think it's oh. because it was really early in Bill Murray's career. Like, Ghostbusters had come out two years before this movie was released. Uh-huh. So he's still, like, and he and Rick Moranis were in Ghostbusters together. Uh-huh. And this was probably shot either just before or just after Ghostbusters. Probably before. Yeah. Because of all the special effects. So I have a feeling that Rick Moranis was just like, hey, we need some someone. Can you come in? Hey, Bill, will you come in and do the scene? I thought he was fantastic. Yes. I loved him as that weirdo guy. <laughs> yeah. I was like watching it and I was like, oh my gosh, that's Bill Murray. Yeah. And if you could play any character from the show, who would it be? Audrey. But I also think it'd be really fun to have like a woman play Audrey too. Yes. Because Audrey 2 is also always played by, like, a baritone man. But I think Audrey 2 would be really fun if it were played by a woman. And, like, if it sounded like I... Audrey. Ooh. I've, like, I've seen a production with a female Audrey 2, and it was great. I think it would be really good. Yeah. Mine is Audrey. Or even just any woman playing Audrey. I think it would be great. 
Yeah, mine was mine is Audrey, and it always will be yeah. Audrey. Ugh, I love her. Yeah, I love Somewhere That's Green. I love Suddenly Seymour. I just don't like her. Yeah. I thought, oh gosh, I just did not like her at all. Yeah. And yeah. also, really quick, when at the very end, when Crystal, Chiffon, and Ronette come out for Don't Feed the Plants, and they're wearing those hot pink sparkly dresses. Yes. I was like, I need those dresses now. So what would you give this, um, what would you give Little Shop out of 10? I give it a 7 out of 10 minus a point just because I don't like the Audrey. 8 out of 10. I grew up with this. I grew up with this movie. My cousin Bennett recently played Seymour. Yeah. And like he and I grew up And Jeremy Jordan's about to play him. Also, what what's his face from um, George Salazar from Be, Be More Chill? He played Audrey. Uh, he played Seymour, and that production yeah. was just amazing. They had a yeah. trans woman of color play Audrey. Yeah, I think oh. I yeah I really love this show, and I, I think there too. could be a lot of great stuff done with it. This is just not my favorite version. Yeah. So, we're gonna take a little break, and we will see you guys at the end of this episode. Yes. Bye. Okay, and we are back from that little break. Yes. And Emma, what did you get up to during your little break time? So one of my friends from my like youth group on campus, she is hosting a ghost tour for the month of October around campus. That's very fun. It was pretty fun. cool. Um, it was really fun. I really liked it. That sounds like a blast. It was. And she was very happy that I was wearing my Beetlejuice shirt. I'm sure. Yes. She was dressed up all like Victorian, like kind of like steampunk. Very nice. Yeah. What about you, Gabby? Let's see. I got myself some Cheez-Its. I'm eating them out of a mug because I'm starving because it's 7 o'clock and I haven't eaten dinner yet. Because I spent most of my break painting because uh for halloween i paint these little jars to be like witchy jars so i painted those i made myself another tea this one is cinnamon plum tea i have a doctor and, very nice and i walked and fed my dog i so, still have tea left over from earlier so you might see me drinking out of that mug still <laughs> sounds good yeah so let's pick up where we left off which was right before one of our last ones. Actually, I think it is our last one. It is our last one. So, kind of a late break this week. We're going to probably start taking breaks from now on in the middle of episodes, just so that way we have time to do the things we need to do. Yeah. So, look out for that. Um, so, the last one that we're going to be talking about is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. And the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, centers on a young engaged couple whose car breaks down in the rain near a castle where they seek a telephone to call for help. The castle or country home is occupied by strangers in elaborate costumes celebrating an annual convention. They discover the head of the house is Dr. Frankenfurter, an an apparently mad scientist who actually is an alien transvestite who creates a living muscle man named Rocky in his laboratory. The couple are seduced separately by the mad scientist and eventually released by the servants who take control. I feel like that's a very accurate description of this movie. Yeah. 
I think so. It's like really on the nose, except for the fact that like it gets freaking weird. It does. It was my first time watching it for those of you who do not know. Which is a bummer to me because I really wanted to take Emma to see it. I wanted Emma to be to go out and see it and have all of the spectacle of going. So maybe maybe next time we do it, we'll have to see it together and I will take her. And if they ask her if she's a Rocky Horror Virgin, I'm just going to say yes. Because <laughs> you've never had the full experience. You True. have to go. You have to go up on stage and get spanked by people. I'm not kidding. It's true. I it know. happens. I know. So, uh, it came out in 1975, and it was directed by Jim Sharman. The cast has Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter, Susan Sarandon as Janet Weiss, Barry Botswick as Brad Majors, Richard O'Brien as Riff Raff, Patricia Quinn as Magenta, Nell Campbell as Columbia, Jonathan Adsum as Dr. Everett Scott, Peter Hinwood as Rocky, and Meatloaf as Eddie. Yeah. That one wasn't in our notes. I just knew that one off the top of my head. I didn't know how far to go down because I'd never seen it when I wrote these notes. That's okay. And somehow I was the one to write these notes. Yeah, I should have been doing it. I'll do all the next ones. Yeah, except for Halloween. Yeah. So, some fun facts. Filming took place from October through December in Bray, near Windsor, England. Barry Botswick claims he was always wet during filming because the castle had a leak. There was one quote-unquote warm room with space heaters where cast members took turns warming up until the room caught on fire. Yeah. Yeah. So, they were like, ooh, we're going to warm up. And then there were too many space heaters and the room just like, poof, into flames. Yeah. Pretty much. And the other fun fact is that Dr. Everett Scott crashes through the wall for his entrance into the laboratory because the set builders forgot to put an extra door in the lab set. And then later in the film, you also see Janet entering the laboratory through that hole and a few other characters come in through that same yeah. hole in the wall. Which, honestly, I kind of like it better. Yeah, same. I kind of like it better than a door. So, Emma, even though you did not get the full experience, because when you watch this movie, every time anybody says Janet or Brad's full name, when they say Janet's full name, you yell, slut. And when you, they yell, they say Brad's full name, you say, asshole. Okay. It's very fun. It's very fun. I will take you one day, and I will give well, my, you, like, a printout of all of the callouts. My campus always does it. Okay. In October. So you have to go. Yeah, my friend um, Kristen, who's never seen it, even, like, just, like, watching it, and I are going to go together. Okay, good. I'm going to send you a list of all the good call-outs to do. Well, they give you, like, a little pamphlet of all the call-outs. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Smart. I like them. Yeah. There are some fun ones, though, that aren't usually mentioned. I'll and it's, like, a whole costume thing. Yes, it usually is. So the Rocky Horror Picture Show has become a huge cultural phenomenon because of the, like, obscure nature of this film. Yeah. Just because it's so weird. And um, a little bit of a history about the show is that Richard O'Brien actually wrote the Rocky Horror Show, which was originally the stage show, first. Yeah. 
and he wrote it to keep himself busy on winter evenings as an out-of-work actor in London. And ever since he was a little kid, he had a passion for science fiction and B-horror movies. So, you know, very, like, you can see the influence of science fiction and B-horror movies in this film. Yes. And he wanted to combine the elements of unintentional humor of B-horror movies, um, some, like, really weird dialogue, and um, he wanted to combine elements of the unintentional humor of B-horror movies, just because they're so bad, they're funny, um, and the pretentious dialogue of uh, Sherlock horror, Steve Reeves films, and 50s rock and roll into the Rocky Horror Show. So a major theme running throughout the musical is transvestitism, I think that's how you say it, um, which according to O'Brien was not originally meant to be as prominent as it ended up being, and he conceived and wrote the whole play set against the backdrop of the glam era that had manifested itself through the British pop culture in the early 70s, which allowed his vision to come to being. Interesting. So, thank you, Wikipedia. That is a giant... That looks like a Twix bar, but I know it's not a Twix bar. What is that? Oh my gosh, it's a giant Kit Kat. Okay, why did I have a feeling it was a giant Kit Kat? How did I know? Of course I know. <laughs> okay. Let's get on with this. So I have to know, who was your favorite character? Janet. Janet's pretty good. Columbia has always been my favorite for a long, long, long time. I love Columbia's outfits. Yes, Columbia's outfits are fire. But I honestly, all three of the girls are my favorites. I love the girls. They're the best. Yeah. Okay. Favorite song. It has to be Time Warp, right? Wait, is yeah. there any other option? I mean, Time Warp is like the classic. It's the one that everybody knows from the show. That's like the the song from it's the show. Like, it is in like Halloween playlists. Yeah, it's the song. But I also really like Rose Tints My World. Yeah, I like that. Um, I like that one a lot. I like Damn It Janet in the beginning. Damn It Janet's okay. There's a lot of call outs to the beginning of that one. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of screaming in that song. Yeah. But yeah. Um, Damn it, Janet's pretty good. Not my favorite. Rose Tins My World is pretty close. I don't know. I like them all. They're all pretty good. Yeah. The only one I don't really like is Sword of Damocles. That's the <gasps> one song where I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's get on with it. Okay. So what is your favorite moment? Um, uh, besides the, like, bit with the Janet, Dr. Scott, Brad that reminded me oh, of, right? like, Shrek. Yes. Shrek 2. With, well, with, actually, Shrek was Shrek inspired by this. I, really? Mm-hmm. I think so. My mom is calling me. They're doing great. Oh, Sorry, guys. My mom needed help clearing the apps out of the Apple TV. <laughs> she didn't know how to clear the apps off the apple tv so i had to tell her sorry okay so yes the i love the moment where they're doing the 
the Janet, Doctor Scott, Brad, Janet, Doctor Scott, Brad, Rocky. And you know what scene I'm talking about, right? It's yeah. the dad, Fiona, mom. Fiona, mom, Fiona, dad, donkey. I know exactly what you're talking about. I think that's one of my notes. Oh, also, from the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. this is the other one with the wedding guest wearing white. There were so many wedding guests wearing white at that wedding. Yeah. Just like Jekyll like and Hyde. Cream. Or like yeah. cream. Again, I would be pissed if I was the bride. Oh, me too. Like. Me too. Also, the two people at the door looked like the American Gothic picture, the, like, farmer and his wife with the pitchfork. That was kind of the point. I know. But, like, I, like, I was like, what is it with them? And then I was like, yeah. Well, they're later on in the movie, you see the American Gothic picture in the castle. Also, Richard O'Brien is the guy. Interesting. Hmm? You just figure this stuff out by watching it a bunch of times. Also, Brad looks so pouty, like he also didn't cheat on Janet. Right? Like, when, like, she pops up with Rocky? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, Janet! And it's like, okay, hold on a second. Yeah. You just cheated on her, too. And she just cheated on you. She just did it again. But, like... Yeah. Can you blame her when you're in a, like, weird, terrifying, mind-warping, numbing sex dungeon? No. So, like, you know, I don't blame her for for doing it. I mean, he did it, too. Yeah. Frankenfurter kind of tricked them both into doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's not their fault. Literally, one of my notes is, I hate Frankenfurter. I mean, that's kind of the point. You're supposed to, like, either you love him or you hate him. I know. Yeah. Uh, What was your least favorite moment? The Sword of Damocles scene in song. Yeah. Yeah. Also, they were eating Eddie. (laughs) Yeah, they ate Eddie. And then they revealed that he was the table. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is disgusting. That's, like, the worst part of the show. Yeah. It's, like, the most horrifying part of the whole movie. Also, what was the pool scene? What was that? What? The pool. The pool? Oh, gosh. For coming home? Yeah. No. Before that. Before Frankenfurnace. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. He sings it in Coming Home. He's in it in Coming Home. Okay. With, like, the weird pool orgy. Yeah. That was one of my comments was, what the heck is with this weird pool orgy? I never noticed that one before. I, like, turned away, and then it was going on. I was like, oh. Yeah. You are like, whoa. Okay. Yep. Oh, also, I thought of a great drinking game for this film. Oh? Drink anytime somebody breaks the fourth wall. Oh, my God. That's literally one of my notes is... How many times are they going to break the fourth wall? Like, a hundred. It's a million. That's the whole point. It's an interactive, immersive experience. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it is what it is today. Also, I love my one of my notes being, what is, what in the Hunger Games level crap is, with the, what is it with this what? Hunger Games level crap with them watching Janet in her bedroom? Because they're tracking them in the games with cameras. Oh... 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like Frankenfurter's kind of perverse. Yeah. Also, Brad and Janet are Adam and Barbara. Absolutely. And Frankenfurter is um, Beetlejuice. Yeah, but worse. Yeah. And more horny. Yeah. So, okay, really quick. While we're speaking about the, like, awkward pool orgy thing. um, (laughs) Sorry. Um, (laughs) I noticed, I was like, those costumes must have been awful to swim in. That and also all the men had to, like, train to walk in those heels. In those heels, right? Like, I cannot walk in those heels. I probably could. I'd probably break an ankle, but I could. Also, how did that lever go down? Magic. I don't know. (laughs) Gravity? It's supposed to be, it's supposed to. It's supposed to be bad. It's like so bad it's good, you know? I was like, no. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, okay. What about those really shitty laser SFX? Oh my gosh, yeah. Also the lips at the beginning. Oh, that's like iconic. Yeah. There's, like, other shows that have, like, done that, like, as an homage. Like, cartoons have done that as, like, an homage the to Muppets the show. The Muppets have even done that. Funny. Yeah. 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 Also, there is a live version of the Rocky Horror Picture Show starring Laverne Cox as Frankenfurter, Victoria Justice as Janet, Ryan McCartan as Brad, <gasps> Ooh, Emily like Ashford. Yeah, I love him, too. You don't like him? I love him. Oh, okay. I thought you said you don't like him. I was like, what? Um, Annalie Ashford as Columbia. Um, Reeve Carney as Frankenfurter. Or not Frankenfurter, as Riff Raff. Let's see. Adam Levine as Eddie. No, not Adam Levine. Adam Lambert as Eddie. Okay. That's all I can remember off the top of my head. Oh, and, and Tim Curry came back to be in the live, and he played the criminologist. Ooh. Yeah. I think the costume department did an actually really good job with this film. Yeah. I really love all of the costumes. I love Columbia's Mickey ears. I'm surprised yes. you didn't bring that one up. I know. <laughs> right? And I also really also love the that pink... Yes! That's what I said. I said... <laughs> I said Columbia and Magenta making masks fashionable since 1975. <laughs> oh, okay. When, okay, when they first figure out that they're eating Eddie, why does Janet run to Rocky? Thank you. And not her fiance? Yeah. I'm sure that was just like the, the nail in the coffin. Yeah, like, no way that those two are actually working out together. No way. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not. So, okay, who would you want to play? Janet. Yeah, you're a Janet. You would. <laughs> not in a bad way. Not in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, you're a Janet. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, that came out like it was bad. No, not in a bad way. It's not a bad thing. 
I've I was I was Gianni at the last time my dad and I went to go see the live show together, like forever ago. Yeah. Um, I would honestly love to play any of the girls. Not too long ago, I auditioned for Magenta as Ooh. a uh, like fill in actor because their Magenta had to leave halfway through a run, and they needed somebody to fill in. And so I said, Yeah, sure, I'd love to audition. So I did. I didn't get it. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Um, but I would love to play any of them. I would also love to play Columbia. I think I would kill as Columbia. I think so, too. I think that would be very good at that. Because I feel like Columbia has this very, like, childish spirit. Yeah. And I feel like I have that all the time. I agree. What would you give this uh, movie musical overall out of 10? What did I say? I said a 7 out of 10. Mm, checks out. Yeah. I said 8 out of 10. I give it a 9 out of 10 had we gone to see the live show because I feel like, not the live show, but like a live screening because I feel like a live screening adds a yeah. totally different aspect. I'd like to do a live screening at some point. I definitely think you should. It's very fun. I want to. But yeah, that's that movie. It's a whole other beast. I could We could talk about all of the little things in it for hours. Yeah. I could, I could go through every little thing and be like, this is why this is significant. And this is why this is significant. And people love this part, but... Yeah. I think that would make this podcast longer than it already is. I agree. So, so shall we see them in the intro... Or the outro? We will see you guys in the outro. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fan Fatales. Gabby, would you like to tell our lovely audience what we will be chatting about next week? We will be continuing our month-long Halloween spooktacular, and we're going to be discussing some modern horror-slash-thriller movies. More on the thriller side, just because I don't like horror-horror. I get Same. too scared. Remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and subscribe to us on YouTube. Please leave us a review or comment down below to tell us what you thought of the show. And remember to follow us on Instagram at FanFatalesPod for the latest updates and to possibly be featured in a future episode. Now, Emma, where can the people find you on social media? So my Instagram and TikTok are both at SnippyEmma, which is S-N-I-P-P-Y-E-M-M-A. What about you, Gabs? I'm at Gabby Gent on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. That's G-A-B-Y-J-E-N-T. Our music is by our amazing friend, Maddie Macon. And our editing is by the wonderful Kara Lensmeyer. As always, thank you for tuning in. Bye! Bye. Any views we express in this episode are expressly our own and do not reflect the brand or the company they're about. <laughs> <laughs>